One of my favorite scenes from a World War II movie is found in Force 10 from Navarone. Now, this is a bit of a spoiler alert, but I'm just saying you've had since 1978 to see this film. So, so that's on you. But Force 10 is uh, a group of, uh, of four men. They're special ops. And their assignment is to blow up a bridge while the German army is crossing it. Well, when they see the bridge, they discover it's too big for them to blow up, but they believe that they can blow up the dam above the bridge and that the force of the water will come and take the bridge out. So two men of the force take a bomb into the belly of the dam. And they light the fuse and they casually walk away expecting that they're going to die in the blast. Well, the bomb detonates, uh, explodes, and it knocks the two men out, but they don't die. And when they come to, they realize that they are still alive and that the dam is still intact. And so frustrated and angry, they start saying about the teammate who made the bomb. They yell, it didn't work, it didn't work, it didn't work. Meanwhile, a third member of the team is on the hillside and he's watching the dam through binoculars. The time has come, it's past time for the bomb to have detonated. And so he turns to the fourth member of the force, the, the man who concocted the bomb, who's calmly puffing away on his pipe. And he says, it didn't do a thing, nothing. We went through all of this and nothing, nothing but The bomb builder responds, give it time, it'll work. Well, as the third man continues to watch through the binoculars, he sees a little trickle of water coming down the side of the dam. And then that trickle of water gets a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And then a shaft of water comes shooting out of the dam. And then another shaft and another shaft over and over and over. These shafts of water begin to break through until the entire dam collapses And the water goes rushing down toward the bridge. And the man with the binoculars turns to the bomb maker and says, You did it! You did it! And the bomb expert says, I told you, it's only a matter of waiting. And so it is with the means of grace in our lives. Let's call coming to faith in Christ the explosion. And that's an apt description because the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the gospel is the power of God. Power of God. Greek word, dunamis. English word, dynamite. And so there's an explosion of the light and the life of Christ in us when he brings us to faith. But sometimes, after that explosion occurs, we feel like saying or sometimes perhaps shouting, it didn't work. It didn't work. I'm still too much of me. But listen, typically the Lord doesn't explode our lives with the gospel and then take us to heaven immediately to be with him. No, he leaves us here. And while we're here, while we're living this life, we have to be patient We have to watch. We have to wait because there's so much work 
that needs to be done in each of us. Work that we wish could be done like that in an instant, like an explosion. But idols, addictions, wrong loves, they don't come crashing down all at once. But here's the good news. The grace of God not only detonates an explosion of salvation in us, the grace of God continues to work in us. And change starts to happen. It may seem like a trick, trickle, but, but we've got to give it time. Give it time. It'll work. It's only a matter of waiting. We have to be patient, steady on, day by day, by day by day, steady on as the grace of God does its work in us. Steady on as those idols begin to fall and the addictions go away and the former heart loves come crashing down. In his book, Habits of Grace, David Mathis writes, Just when we think we've been carried far enough, that God has done for us all that we could imagine and more, grace shatters the mold again. Grace sanctifies. It's too wild to let us stay in love with unrighteousness. Too free to leave us in slavery to sin. Too untamed to let our lusts go unconquered. Grace's power is too uninhibited to not unleash us for the happiness of true holiness. Grace is too strong to leave us passive, too potent to let us wallow in the mire of our sins and weaknesses. We've got to wait on the grace of the Lord. You and I, day by day by day, it works. That's what we're going to talk about this morning as we return once again to Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bible with you, I'm going to ask you to take it out. You'll find one uh, a Bible in the pew in front of you if you don't have one. Or the passage is also printed in the bulletin. So when you found Acts chapter 2, if you'll stand, so that we might hear read together the word of the one and only true and living God. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, this is the word of the living God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us through it. Thank you for preserving it for us. We pray now, Spirit of God, that you would join the truth of your word and that there would be uh, an explosion of your grace, an explosion of your power in our lives to be more and more the people you have called us to be, the people that you enable us to be by your grace. 
We wait on you now for your good work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I was going to begin by saying that since I've been away for a couple of weeks, that I needed to recover, go over once again some of the ground that we've already covered about the means of grace. But if I said that, that would be a lie. The reason I want to go over the means of grace again has nothing to do with my being away. It has everything to do with how much I love the means of grace, the Word of God, the sacraments, and prayer. I love to study about them. I love to talk about them. I love to preach about them because I'm passionate about the power that's contained in the means of grace that God has given to us. I've seen their power in my own life. You've seen their power in your life. We read church history with wonder at how God has used the means of grace in his people and how God has transformed the world through his people by the means of grace. It's true that these means of grace, they're old. They are so old. They are God's ancient path, well-trodden path. But they're God's unchanging way, which makes them rather counterintuitively the most relevant reality in our fraying world. I hope you believe that. God's means of grace are the most relevant reality for our fraying world. God doesn't call us to innovate. God doesn't call us to pioneer some new way in order to reach our world or to be relevant to this world, in order to be able to speak into its greatest needs and greatest fears and greatest confusions. No. By God's grace, when you and I faithfully devote ourselves to and attend the means of grace, we're prepared to address not only our own needs, fears, and confusions, but the needs, fears, and confusions of our world. We can address them with grace because of the means of grace. And the reason that happens is because the means of grace by the Spirit of God, take us to Jesus. And that's just as Jesus promised. John chapter 16, when Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, he tells them, when the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit of God takes us to Christ. John Piper writes, The primary mission of the Spirit and His people is to show that Jesus is more glorious than anyone or anything else. 
It cannot be done by those who find this world more enjoyable than Jesus. And that's true. And so what the means of grace do is they, in a sense, they take us out of this world. They take us out of the false narrative of this world and they take us to Jesus. And what a place that is to be. As Psalm 16 says, in your presence, there is fullness of what? Do you know? Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The means of grace put before our eyes the glories of Christ. And when we see Jesus, as the old hymn says, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And this must be the reason that the early church was so devoted to the means of grace, to the word of God, to the sacraments, and to prayer. It must be the reason they held on to them so tightly. That's how much they wanted to be with Jesus. Word of God, let me see Jesus. Lord's Supper, let me see Jesus. Prayer, let me see Jesus. By God's design, these means of grace are for us to experience together as a fellowship, as a family in corporate worship. And so far in these last weeks, beginning back in June, we've seen four truths about gathering corporately around the means of grace. And the first truth was this, that our fellowship together in corporate worship is grand central for making disciples of us. This is where discipleship happens. And that's what the Lord wants us to be, his faithful followers. You know, so many people say, oh, I don't know what the Lord wants me to do with my life. I can't answer the details of that, but this one's a no-brainer. <laughs> he wants you and me to be his disciples. And he allows that to happen when we gather together for worship, which makes sense because the, the second truth that we saw is that Corporate worship is a place where we are acted upon more than a place where we act. You and I come openly, just like this. We come openly to the Lord in worship. Open before his word, the sacraments, open in prayer. And the Lord does the work that he wants to do in each of us. And that work is probably quite different in each one of us. But whatever that work is, it fits the plan of God, which is a perfect and well-pleasing plan for your life, for the church, for the world, and your place in it, in worship around the means of grace, the Lord acts upon us. Again, to quote John Piper, God's work does not make our work unnecessary. It makes it possible. So we come here, the Lord works on us, and that makes our work Possible. Truth number three, corporate worship is a place to imagine. It's a place to imagine together. We, we enter here Sunday by Sunday from a world that has storied us with its broken narrative, its angry, hate-filled narrative. In many cases, or these days it seems most cases, a narrative of lies. They play over and over and over again. The world's story 
world's narrative. It's so out of accord with the will and the ways of God. But then you and I get to come through these doors. And together we get to imagine the world the way it should be. The way it could be. When Christ's faithful followers, his disciples like you and me, live as faithful followers in this world. We get to imagine the way it will be when Christ returns and ushers in the new heaven and the new earth. We come to imagine that story around the means of grace. Not in the sense that we create from our imagination a story, but in the sense that we imagine together a world where the knowledge of the glory of God covers the earth, our earth, as waters cover the sea. Imagine that. Truth number four. Corporate worship around the means of grace is a place of true freedom. You and I are free to come here not having everything figured out. We don't come here to worship together with an agenda for the Lord to accomplish. We come here and worship, not knowing what the Lord will do in us and through us and among us. And we come here not afraid of what that work might be. Paul and Barnabas didn't have a plan put together for world evangelization. They didn't come to worship looking or asking for that plan. They just came to worship, period. Around the means of grace, period. And Scripture says that while they worshiped, the Spirit of God said, Set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work to which I have called them. Imagine that. God reveals both the mission and the missionary during worship around the means of grace. Corporate worship, it's a place where the Lord works freely among us, unexpectedly. We're free. The work is the Lord. The plan is the Lord. It's good and perfect and well-pleasing. And our responsibility is simply to respond in faith to that plan as God reveals it to us as we worship. This morning, at long last, it was quite a review, wasn't it? I want to add a fifth truth about corporate worship around the means of grace. And this truth is that it must be repetitive. Must be repetitive. Look in verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Day by day. Over and over again, day by day, they met together in the temple courts. They continued their worship in their homes around the means of grace as they gathered around uh, the, the, the supper of the Lord and the, and the word of the Lord. It was the rhythm of their lives, day by day by day. Look in verse 47. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Day by day. Day by day. The Lord was at work among them. That was the rhythm of their lives. Day by day, watching the work of the Lord, that was the rhythm of their lives. Seems to me to be a good reason to get out of bed in the morning 
asking, what will the Lord do today? Perhaps their devotion about which we read in verse 42 resulted from the reality that they knew that every single day made them different. Every day changed them. Every day, day by day, the Lord was at work as they fellowshiped together around the means of grace. And it doesn't appear to me that boredom sat in among these believers. It doesn't appear that they said or they thought about the means of grace. Oh, well, move along. Nothing new to see here. Doesn't seem to me as they repeated their daily worship that they ever said, oh, been there, done that. No. Day by day, the same thing. Over and over again, and change came. Maybe that change was a trickle. But it was happening day by day, and it had a cumulative effect in their lives, just as the grace of God at work in your life and my life has a cumulative effect day by day, God doing his appointed work in his appointed way. You and I have to watch. We have to wait. As we gather around the means of grace, God's Grace does work. Do you believe that? Do you? God's grace does work. Sometimes we think we can't see it at all. Sometimes it seems like only a trickle. But I know this. When you and I attend, full of faith, to the means of grace, God's grace goes to work in us. We die more and more to sin and we live more and more to Christ. Is that what you want for your life? If it is, say amen. Die more and more to sin. Live more and more to Christ. An old woman finally asked her husband of 60 years this question. Why do you never tell me you love me? The husband responded, I told you on the day we got married that I loved you. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. Some things are worth repeating. Some things have to be repeated over And over and over again, over and over and over again, we attend to the means of grace together. And when we do, slowly but surely, our affections begin to change day by day by day. And the cumulative effect in our lives means that that dam begins to burst. Idols, addictions, false loves, 
collapse. Philip Melanchthon was a collaborator with Martin Luther, that guy there. And he's considered to be the first systematic theologian of the Protestant Reformation. And one of his thoughts has been translated this way. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. it. And you know that's true. Often your mind can't overcome your heart. Neither can mine often to our detriment, illogically. Illogically, we do what our minds tell us to do is wrong because our hearts want it so badly. The mind says don't, the heart says do, and the mind and the will follow along and justify. And listen, listen, listen. That's why we need the grace of God and the means of grace in our lives so badly. Why we must attend to them repetitively, week by week, because it's through these means of grace. It's because we meet Jesus in them that our affections start to change, that our hearts start to love the right things, that our hearts start to love the right one, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The means of grace experienced together change our affections. God saves us with an explosion. But His grace continues to work in us so that we become John, the apostle, so close to Jesus. Writes, beloved, I love that word, that's us, loved ones. We are God's children now. And what we will be, what we will be, has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You and I, beloved, are becoming, is that good news? Becoming more and more like Christ. We don't become it all at once. Change takes time. Just wait. Just wait. God's grace is at work. Don't give up. Keep the binoculars out. Watch for the trickle. Then the stream. Steady on. Your affections. My affections will change as we commit ourselves repetitively to the means of grace that God has given to us. The word, the sacraments, and prayer. Let's do that now. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Such a grace to our lives. A light to our path, a lamp for our way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for how your grace works through your word, through the faith and the power of your spirit. And so, Lord, we offer ourselves to you again freely, openly, uh, this morning. Ask you for your patience, for patience as you continue to do your good work in us and through us. Lord, 
We have every hope, every confidence that you are at work. You promise to be because you love us. You love us, Lord. So you want to change us. Bring that change. We pray in your, your time, in your way. Lord, if you want to explode and crush idols and addictions in a moment, praise God. Thank you for that. But Lord, if it's gentle and slow over time, as you teach us to be more and more dependent on you. That's your will. That's your way for us. Cause us to be steady on. Day by day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.